This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Bellman Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk away from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Pataudry for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round, and get fired in with our exclusive discounts. Head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pound of Foster's, a £4 for a pint of Moretti or Dark Fruits, or £5 for a pint of Fierce or a Daiquiri any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds. Red slight of foot there. It's Wednesday and you know what that means. Welcome to episode 101 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott and this week I'm joined, as always, by Graham Steele. Graham, how's it going? Good, thanks. Missing our third wheel this evening as he's otherwise disposed of with his in-laws. What a disgrace. Shabby stuff, shabby stuff. Indeed, absolutely. But in a week that saw... Your average bear take defeat at Pataudry with all the grace of Suella Braverman greeting arrivals at Dover that saw the SFA make the somewhat contradictory approach on the Jimmy Jago red card appeal and that saw Gav puncture my dreams of being the first of the ABZFP to get a bozy off Ilber Ramadani. It's a somewhat sedate one this week, Graham, because we don't have anything to review today, although we're still all just living on cloud nine after last week. Yeah, uh, yeah, a relatively calm week. Mm-hmm. There's some good news in there, which I'm sure we'll touch on around old Angus MacDonald. Absolutely, we'll come on to that in a minute. So we're going to take a look at our post-split fixtures. We'll preview our trip to Mordor on Sunday afternoon to take on Sevco 5088 Limited, trading as the Rangers. We'll check in with the young team, the Quines and our lone players and lone watch. And then after the break, it's time for part two of our interview with a man who grew up as Aberdeen fan, went on to make over 400 appearances in red over two spells, captain the club twice. He was, of course, the last Aberdeen captain to win or sorry, to lift a major trophy, it is the one and the only Russell Anderson. But first, Graham, post-split fixtures announced early in the week, not as early as everyone expected, because obviously the SPFL and Sky had to arse about as much as they could with them. You say that, Sky obviously couldn't be bothered picking them, and then when they did, they just sent them to the SPFL, as I imagine how it probably probably worked out. Absolutely. So for the Dons, away to Sevco to start next Sunday, home to Hibs, away to Hearts, Home to St Mirren, then away to Celtic on the final day of the season. So, nothing majorly controversial from an Aberdeen perspective because we, we were expecting to be away from home three times um, in the run and then have two, and have two home games. But I guess the big news or the big change was the fact that our projected away game to Paisley, sorry, in Paisley against St Mirren has been switched with what should have been a home game against Celtic. So we've now got the buddies at home away to Celtic. Um, your thoughts on that? Um, I think it's probably all right, isn't it? I mean, we're just looking at the the run of the fixture. So the way around home and away, like you say, is pretty much what we expect. I don't really feel like we've been screwed over because I, I guess depending on how things go and who gets into the split versus who was in their prior seasons, you tend to get a bit skewed. So that seems about right. And maybe wouldn't have picked that as my first fixture, 
But then you look at that and think, well, you may or may not get something out of it because we're in a good run of form. But then you've kind of got the three games in a row that's basically going to decide where you end up yeah. at the end of the season, in my opinion. And they probably would want, I think you probably would want them all together because if you could get get some decent points out of that, then you're, you're probably wrapped up with a couple of games to go, depending on what Hearts do. Absolutely. I mean, I think you're probably right. Maybe a way to Rangers was not quite the fixture we'd have wanted to start off. Um, but it's maybe balanced off with the fact that Celtic have got, Heart, uh, sorry, Hearts have got Celtic at Tynecastle on the same day. So we'll, we'll come on to that in a minute or two when we talk about the Sevco preview. Um, I, I did see a few people kind of like losing their shit a little bit about the fact we're going to have to travel to Parkhead for a third time this season. But being honest, certainly from my perspective, I would take that with getting St. Mirren at home ahead of having to travel to Paisley again this season. Yeah, I would probably agree with that. And I also was just looking, no, it's maybe the Hibs game, because I guess we did we did request that we'd get a home game for that sort of Gothenburg weekend. So yeah. I don't know if accommodating that maybe messes up some of the other fixtures. So I don't think it's that big a deal, personally. I mean, I'm kind of hoping we get to the last game and everything's sorted out anyway. So kind of doesn't really matter what happens. Yeah, but our record in Paisley over the last few seasons has been pretty horrendous. So the, the prospect of playing them at home when it matters, I think is... I think it's a bigger advantage. It's a bigger bonus to us, I think. Than, I think so. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, the way the fixtures have kind of landed as well, they they, they do possibly favour us a little bit. You've got, obviously, um, Hearts play Hibs on the final day at Tyne Castle as well. So that, that could be a game that is meaning something potentially there, which... Um, again, it's not an easy run-in for, for Hearts at all. In fact, when you look at the top six, Hearts, out of the six teams in the in the, in the top six, have got the worst record against those other teams in the top six this season. So they've got to travel to to Paisley as well. Um, so it's it's going to be an interesting... It's going to be interesting how it all, all works out, I guess, in the end. Um, I guess the other big part about this week has just been the absolute shambles that has been Sky TV's picks in terms of the games they've covered um yeah we touched on this a while back when we looked at the new tv deal i can't remember exactly what episode it was on it was a while back now um but just another example isn't it about just the complete like lack of care that they seem to have about the scottish game unless it involves rangers or celtic yeah i mean everyone knows that the scottish football deal is an afterthought and then everyone out with them is the afterthought after the afterthought but this is just <laughs> like don't even try and hide it do you, yeah. you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I if if it was up to me, well, I guess everyone's like, oh, you need the TV deal because you need the money. But I feel like if you don't have the TV deal, you don't have the money. It doesn't change anything. No one's more or less competitive because you've all got, you know, you all get the same money or you all lose the same money. So, yeah, I think it's a lot of nonsense and quite rightly people saying, like, why the hell? Because they haven't picked the Edinburgh Derby, have they? No, Edinburgh Dorbys not. I mean, to be fair, they can't. They cannot pick another game at Tynecastle anyway. Oh, because they've already had. Well, even they've already that had their four picks, which is mad that they picked the Ross County game yeah. a couple weeks ago. Um, yeah, because there was always going to be Aberdeen Hearts was always going to be at Tynecastle. Um, and yeah, there was always going to be another Edinburgh Derby at Tynecastle. The way this split was working out, so it's just madness, isn't it? Because if you realistically, when you look at the league, there are only two, three things now that have that there's any intrigue about in the league which is the, the race for third um I, I guess possibly the race for the other european spots but that's maybe intermingled with the race for third and the relegation scrap yeah they're the only things that matter the fact they've not even picked up a game out of the bottom six split says an awful lot doesn't it because that's they're the only place that there's any intrigue is these games and none of the games that involve the race for the third or the relegation scrap have been picked none of them not a thing 
Yeah, and then which game of ours did they change? Is it the Tynecastle game? We've been changed to Beyonce. Yes, uh, yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, yeah, that's that wasn't Sky, but still a little pish. Uh, yeah, it's disappointing, but it's not surprising. And until the people that run the game take a stand and decide that we've got something that's marketable, whether we can do that ourselves or go elsewhere, we're always just going to have the best taken out of us. Indeed, indeed. So let's uh, let's look forward then. So fresh off a 2-0 win over Scotland's youngest top flight side, the SPFL computer bravely decides to send us straight back to play them again this time in Govan, uh, after some of the shenanigans that came off the back of the game, I, I was a little bit surprised to see they're putting us back to Govan quite so quickly, but never mind. Um, after their it's all random, the... remember? Of course it is, absolutely. After their 1-0 defeat to Celtic in the Scottish Cup semi-final on Sunday afternoon, Ali McBeal's side have literally nothing left to play for this season. There's a very real chance that by the time we kick off against them at Ibrox. Uh, we had a three o'clock kickoff. It is Hearts against Celtic at Tynecastle at quarter past two. There's a very good chance that by the time we kick off, um, Celtic have got their league wrapped up by that point if they're a couple of goals up. Anyway, um, could be quite interesting. 4-1 defeat for us in Govan early in the season, but um, you'd like to think that our win over them last time out surely provides us with a lot of confidence heading into this one. We look to try and make eight wins on the spin for the first time since the start of the 2015 season. We'll also be looking to try and make it six clean sheets in a row. That's the first time we've done that since we had seven in a row from December 2014 to January 2015. Um, Rangers had uh, Conor Golson and Ryan Kent back in their starting lineup in the semi-final on Sunday. Uh, those were the only changes that came from the defeat at Pataudry with John Sutton and Sakala dropping out. Tillman off after 36 minutes of an injury. It looked like a, quite a nasty you know, as well, so I don't think he... I'd be very surprised if he's available for next week. Um, Ryan Kent was hooked after 45 minutes after having an absolute shocker of a game, um, to the surprise of nobody, I think, outside the Glasgow media. It's a huge game for us, though, isn't it? Once again, Hearts, like we touched on there, they face Celtic at Tynecast on the game that kicks off before ours does. Celtic, of course, can wrap up the title there, and then there's every chance Celtic take the three points, which would give us the chance obviously, to extend the gap to Hearts in third with any sort of points we pick up on the board. Um, as we see it just now, Graeme Shinney will still be missing out due to suspension. So do you imagine, Graeme, we go with the same sort of starting lineup, the same sort of system um, as the 2-0 win last week? Or do you think Robson does try to change something given we're on the road this time? I think he might try and change something. So although we got the result last weekend, probably that first half an hour or so wasn't really working for us. We weren't really getting battered as such, but we weren't really weren't really in the game and it's probably just going to be worse away from home. So, you know, that whether it was how far forward Duncan was playing or Duncan in particular in that role, something wasn't quite working. So I think it's probably not a bad idea for him to change it. But I don't think we're talking big changes, you know, defensive, let's try and get a point. I think we should still be trying to play it's not that we've necessarily been playing with flair, but we've been playing with a confidence and a mm -hmm. determination. And I think we should be going out to try and play in that way. I just think it probably would be worthwhile to consider making some small changes because, you know, if the way we were kind of getting overrun at home, you know, you flip that round and you get an overrun away from home, probably they do get a goal and then the dynamic does mm -hmm. change. What sort of tweak would you think then? Is it a case of maybe just going with a bit more of a flat three in the midfield so you don't have one player sitting quite so advanced as, as Duncan's been doing 
And if you're going to do that, I don't think Duncan's the guy to play that sort of position. So who would we no. perhaps look at, at bringing in? Is this an opportunity for Connor Barron to perhaps come back into the team? Or I think probably, although like Morelos' forms rank, the, the movement of their forwards is quite good. Well, I mean, Cantwell, for example, I think he's a, he's a decent player. So that sort of interchanging of positions seemed to cause us a bit of bother. So maybe having someone a little bit deeper and trying to bulk out the midfield a bit, make it a little bit trickier mm-hmm. for them to to play through or make those runs is a good idea. But I'm not really sure, looking around, who you've got. I mean, Barron, maybe. But then he's, he's obviously been out with injury for a long time. Don't know what sort of fitness or form he's in. I don't think it's his type of role either. No, I feel like he's better suited in a Clarkson-type yeah. role. So I'm not certain it's really for him. And then... You know, the only other ways, I don't know if you can rejig the defence to maybe put Procore or something in there, but, you know, the trade-off is you then dismantle something that's been really pretty solid in terms of the yeah. defence. So I'm, not, I'm really not too sure. What the, I don't see an obvious, I can't think of an obvious replacement on the bench, if I'm honest. Is it a situation where we go, I think we spoke about this a little bit, or I, I think I certainly spoke to Gav about this at halftime during the game of last week, is... Do you even take somebody like, and I know you I know you don't rate Matty Kennedy at all, but do you take somebody like him and you kind of remember years ago, um, Ricky Foster was deployed in a role which where he basically just followed, I think it was Thomas Buffel. Yeah. Around at Patodry for 90 minutes. Or I think it was about 70 minutes. I don't think Buffel completed the game. And Foster did like he I don't think he really did very much, but just the sheer well, fact he just, just followed him the entire dead. time meant Buffel was completely yeah, like so he didn't have time on the ball. Because I remember the one time he got away from him, <laughs> yeah. Foster chased him at half length of the pitch, just absolutely took him out. But that was his job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you maybe, Is it maybe to do... today you go, Kennedy, I want you to follow Cantwell around and you just man-mark him the whole time and that's what you do. Maybe it is something like that. I mean, I, I don't think Kennedy's been great for Aberdeen, but I do think you could rely on him to do a job. Like He's a professional. He'll do what he's told. Anytime he does play, he always puts in a decent shift. I just find him a little bit frustrating in terms of yeah. what he delivers for what should be a, a you know a creative player so you maybe have to do something he's mobile thinking outside the box he's mobile he's, he'll he's get up quite and down, quick so, the shift you know is that what you look at you know we've not seen enough of mislovich i don't think to kind of i think it'd be a bit crazy to chuck him into a game yeah. like that you're right not seeing enough i guess you know if you do do something like that with kennedy you do then have someone who's creatively minded you know, if we do win the ball or we do have a counter-attack, you've got someone who could potentially... He can't deliver a cross, but he can find a pass. Well, I was, I was actually, it's funny you say that, because I was actually about to say, Kennedy's not bad at set-pieces. Um, oh, Jesus. Uh, well, he's scored a couple of free kicks this season. He's he's, he's okay. <laughs> he's he's not terrible. Um, it does give you a slightly different option as well from Leighton Clarkson from that perspective. Yep. Just if he gets, get, and, and we all know when you go to Glasgow... With the best one in the world, you know, even when we were at our pomp in the 80s, we often wouldn't go to Glasgow and, and I say often, there were obviously occasions where we did, but we wouldn't go there and absolutely steamroller these two sides, no matter how bad they may have been. You were having to be dogged, you had to be solid in your defensive work, and then you had to take your chances where they came. And we know that set pieces are something that's very, very important for us um, since Barry Robson's come in the door. So having at least maybe a little bit of additional threat there is not, not the worst idea in the world. No, that's true. I I think with the, with the squad we have at the moment, it maybe is something a little bit different. Like that's what we'll have to do. I don't think he can just take Duncan out and slot someone no. in. So I think he's probably going to have to, if he's going to change it, he's probably going to have to come up with something a little bit creative. 
usually we do a lot more analysis on the opposition, but given we've just played them, it, it, it feels a little bit futile to go into a lot of detail about them because we saw how they played at Petardre, um last week. You know, people may have seen how they played against Celtic today in the Scottish Cup. Um, you touched on that a minute ago. We, we kind of do have to try and avoid a repeat of that opening 30 minutes, I think, because the movement of Cantwell, um, Tillman, who I think will miss the game, and Sakala, in particular, those three did seem to cause us some problems until we kind of worked out the system, sorted our press out. It's one of these ones with Sakala, I'm a bit like, and I'm probably, I'll have to touch some wood here when I say this, but it's almost like you don't really mind if you, if you let him run around a bit and let him peel off defenders because his finishing is garbage. Um, as we saw last week at Petodre, and then you saw this afternoon at Hamden uh, where he missed an open goal for the second game in a row against uh, Celtic in a, in, a, in a major game at Hamden. The interesting part as well, so we need to we need to sort that out. We need to make sure we don't have that problem. But do you think as well, Graham, that Rangers have got nothing to play for now? I mean, that, their season is done. Um, I it'll be it will it will be uh, 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 I imagine close to a full house at Ibrox because no matter what they try to tell us, this is a massive game for them, and they do loathe us despite their protestations to the contrary. If the news has already filtered through from 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 Tynecastle that Celtic had a goal or two up at half time. If Aberdeen can certainly see out 15, 20 minutes and keep it tight, you're going to see, you know, the the hordes are going to be revolting in a much They're more different revolting. manner than they always are, aren't you? It's 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 a kind of perfect storm possibly for us to really go there and try and get something. Definitely, if we can go down, I say frustrate, I don't mean go down, like set up to just be really stuffy and boring because you'll get your comeuppance at the end of the game. But if we can go down to be in the game and not let them pass the ball around. You're right, you're going to get to that stage where they are going to get restless. I mean, you have a quick dip through the comments and they're already wanting the guy uh, out. You know, Mike, Michael Beale now, he's Michael. He's Michael, because they've lost to Celtic pretty much every time. They've just lost to us. They're not going to win anything for another season, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I mean, you're. it's a really good opportunity for us to get something. We are in excellent form and they are... They're not playing terribly by any means, but relative terms, they're in pretty poor form. They've not beaten Celtic. They're not going to get anything out of the season. If Yeah, if you could go down and ideally frustrate them, but also, you know, have demonstrated that you've got some sort of attacking threat so that they, uh, you know, so that you're in the game, I think you will see them start to get frustrated. And the players have probably been, well, they must have been feeling that over the last few weeks, you know, they've been getting grief after losing to Celtic a few times recently, they've obviously been getting grief after losing to us. So you never know what sort of uh, effect that will have on them, but it's obviously going to have a positive effect on our fans that are going down and our players because they'll see that. Yeah, it's, it's the one thing about the, the way the fixtures have landed that does concern me just a, slightly is that because mathematically, theoretically, you know, if Celtic lose their five games remaining and, and Rangers win all five of theirs and Rangers could still win the title... They may still uh, view, and, and because of the manner in which of, that we beat them, obviously last time out as well, that they may view Sunday as being a chance for revenge, and they try to put on a bit of a show and all that type of stuff. By the time we roll round to when Hearts travel to Ibrox, which is the second last game, they will literally have nothing to play for. And I am a little bit worried that Hearts might pick up something at Ibrox, which means it's. I don't think it's critical we pick up something at Ibrox, but I think it would go a long, long way for us just to make sure we can maintain that that push and get anything out of it exactly would uh, I mean a point then what would you be six 
on the basis clear. Celtic beat them, if, if you have yeah. six clear, and then you got four games, so four you're getting four. into the point where you know it's more likely than not that you're going to finish third. But even if you don't, well, get Hearts anything, is recording it. They play St. Mirren second game. We play Hibs. Okay. Um, Hearts is recording at St. Mirren this season is poor. St. Mirren's home record is exceptionally good, as we all know. Um, there's an argument there to say that Hearts don't pick up three points in Paisley. If we were to pick up a point at Ibrox, they don't win anything. They don't pick up anything. If they don't pick up a point at, at, in, in Paisley and we beat Hibs, then you're suddenly, what would you then be? You'd be, six, you'd be nine points clear with three games to go. It's done, effectively. It would take a collapse of epic proportions for, for that to be turned around. Um, the only benefit there is, of course, the Hearts have got a better goal difference than we have at the moment. Yeah, I think if you get something brilliant, if you don't and you assume that Hearts aren't going to get anything, then you're still five with ahead before to go. Yeah. The pressure is all on Hearts because they'll have to win everything. Yeah. And we can afford at least one slip up because then you'd be back to two, whatever. So, and you think the way we've been playing, the form we're in, you know, hopefully you don't take a hide. But if you do lose, hopefully there's enough about the team to just... But right, okay, fine. The rumble's going to come to an end at some point. It's annoying you did, and it's annoying it's them. But you know, then you've got the home game next week to to look forward to, and hopefully just get get going again. So, I uh, yeah, getting something out of the game would be really really good. But I don't think it's I don't think it's critical. Mm. I, I suppose that mindset might change if Hearts pick up something like your Hearts win, then you are maybe thinking right, okay, that is that's got them got some bonus points. Wouldn't it be good if we could get some? Yeah, and that's it. There's going to probably be peaks and troughs, I think, isn't there, realistic, between yeah. now and the end of the season. I think it's unlikely that... Um, I think it's unlikely we win all five. Um, I think it's unlikely, though, that Hearts win all five. I think you're going to see... And I think, as well, teams are going to be so nervy, I think, going into these games. I think the Tynecastle match is probably the critical one, the one right in the yeah. middle of the of the fixtures. That's what I look at. If you go down there and shit, how's your way to a nil-nil? You've probably been able to secure third spot right there and then, I'd imagine, because I think that just you know, takes enough of the kind of air out of what's happening down Gorgie way. It'll be interesting to see what happens when they do play against Celtic on uh, on on Sunday because obviously they got that big boost after beating Ross County. It was a terrible performance by Ross County, so it's very difficult to actually read into that whether or not Hearts were very good. Uh, because like I said, Ross County were so bad it, it's it's impossible to work out. If they were to take a bit of a hiding by Celtic, um, which is entirely possible um, with with this Celtic team, you know that just deflates them a little bit more. That said, you know I think um, off the back of the semi final today, Carter Vickers is going to be missing for Celtic. He's out for the rest of the season now. I think that's a big miss for Celtic. I think defensively, but I still think they've probably got enough about them, and they'll be keen just to get the title wrapped up as quickly as they can. Yeah, I would think so. I'd be surprised if the result was anything other than Celtic winning. So on us then. Graham, we'll wrap up for the, the preview just now. A prediction for our trip to Ibrox on Sunday afternoon. I'm going to say 1-0 to the Dons. Ooh. Another clean sheet for the mighty. Yes. Absolutely yep. love it. On to eight wins on the bounce. That would put us, what would that put us? Eight points clear if uh, Celtic didn't pick up something, which would be uh, which would be crazy. Uh, I'm gonna i I'm gonna say the same. I think uh, I think the Dons are gonna pick up three points. And um I don't think we'll keep a clean sheet. We're going to make hard work of it. Um, Rangers 1, Aberdeen 2. And um, the Dons go marching on. On to other news from maybe 24 this week. So we touched on it earlier on. Um, the big news arrived on Friday night with confirmation that Angus McDonald has signed a two-year extension to his short-term deal, which sees the experienced defender commit his future at the Dons until the summer of 2025. Obviously, an, an ever-present since he arrived at the club at the end of January. 
been a huge part of the defence, which has seen a remarkable turnaround in form since his arrival. Graham, a, a solid piece of business, I think, to get him hooked up for the next couple of seasons. Definitely. From what I've seen so far, really, really enjoyed watching him. He's been absolutely solid. My my only hope is that we can build a new defence and he's as solid. You know, It's not one of these things where it just kind of clicks that he's with Pollock and Scales and everything. They're all just sort of having a, a purple patch. But uh, from what I've seen so far, it's really good. And there's a lot of work to be done in the summer in terms of hopefully improving the quality and replacing the mental loan signings that will be going. So it's one one down. Uh, but yeah, really pleased to to see him him sign. I think that is that's a good bit of business. I think as well his comments when he signed are interesting, you know, talking about the fact that, you know, he feels that this is, you know, uh, a team that's building towards something and they're on a journey and, you know, he's really enjoyed his spell here. And these are one of these things I do like. And sometimes I think maybe we as supporters and we on the pod can sometimes get a little bit over romantic about our club, but it's a guy who again has come here. will have no affiliation whatsoever with Avenue football club before he got here. He really seems to have bought into um, the club, the city, obviously doing a lot of good work with, um, you know, clan um, um, to highlight, you know, uh, his previous experiences with with, with cancer um, he's been incredibly generous with us in terms of you know we um, ran the Duke raffle and donated half of that to to Angus's foundation we're running the separate raffle just now for the, the tickets for the Gothenburg game and, and Angus was like more than happy just to jump in and tell us he'll give us a signed shirt as well to to do he's been brilliant to deal with from that perspective uh, Gav bumped into him on Tuesday at the sponsor of player dinner and he was really effusive with Gav about everything so it's amazing sometimes what happens, isn't it, when you get these guys who come in and they've got no affiliation with, with the club, with the city or anything, but who just seem to really enjoy their time up here. I, I do think, and I think we spoke about it when we did our slightly self-indulgent uh, chat about, you know, what the club means to us and stuff, but I th- it is a special football club, I think, isn't it? There's there's something unique about um, the club and the city, and it's great to see you guys come here and just embrace it and, and really get on board with it. Yeah, I think... It's the absolute minimum anyone coming up. You want them to just, you know, be professional, do their job, play well week in, week out. And if that's what you get out of them, great, that's what they're here for. Obviously, the, what I really want, being from Aberdeen, is the ones that come up and then kind of just feel like they're more than a player. Yeah. You know, they've got some sort of, or they're starting to build some sort of attachment investment in the the club, the city, the surrounding area. You know, they, they kind of get what we all see is the the good points about being an Aberdeen fan uh, and being from the area. So, yeah, along with that, continue. And again, I feel like the you want people to have that sort of feel because you don't know who he knows and where yeah. it gets around. You know, I think like your Tommy Hoban's obviously spoken to a few people, maybe Pollock, I don't know if he knows them, but guys that have come up, enjoyed themselves from the footballing and the sort of lifestyle that you can have up here, you want you want that because word word travels and maybe maybe you've got the next Clarkson who might be oh, where could I go and loan and he can get a chat with someone who's been been here or someone who's thinking of signing. You, you want people to have positive yeah. experiences and you want them to be telling people that they've had positive experiences. So it's really really encouraging so far, and hopefully can get some some of these other guys maybe wrapped up sooner rather than later. Absolutely. And one of the other things I thought was interesting, I think um, I think we've all seen it on the pitch. I, I think this team, this seems like a team and a squad right now who are incredibly kind of together and united and all fighting for each other. And they appear to all 
like each other in the dressing room in the main as well. And you even saw just on Angus's like social media, like after his deal was announced, the flood of the current squad who were in there kind of congratulating and putting comments in and just the way it all appears, it just appears that, you know, A, I think he's a really positive influence that would appear in the dressing room and around the club, which is great. Um, but when you see that kind of interaction amongst the, the squad and the players, it's like, it is that piece where you're like, if we could just try and keep as much of this squad and as this team as it currently stands right now together into next season, there could be something quite special to be done with this setup, I think. You look at what, it's all this, but maybe speak. Look at what's happened in a relatively short period of time. You know, extrapolate that over a season. Yeah. And you know, you're not winning the league, but you're not far off. You're much, <laughs> you're much further on. You've got someone, something to be proud of, and there's every likelihood you're going to get to the business end of a cup final, or of a cup competition rather. And then who knows once you're in the final. So my, that's probably my only disappointment is that this run's coming at a time where there are so many lone players and I'm yeah. not certain we can get. But, you know, having said that, whoever is responsible for finding these lone players, if they can find another set of lone players for next season or if they can find some of these guys that we can sign, you know, there, there's a bit of optimism around, well, they found they found this bunch, so why can't they find another bunch? Yeah, and that's the thing. is, And we've also got guys in the squad at the moment who are signed on permanent deals who we don't know an awful lot about. Like, we, we don't know about Cal Roberts, really. We've seen Cal Roberts for, fuck me, about five minutes. I mean, it's exaggerating a little bit, but not much more than that. Um, did Roberts come off the bench against Darville? I think he did. I think he did, and we've not seen him again since because he didn't get a recurrence of his, in his injury. You know, we've not seen Shaden Morris at all, and I know that what we had seen of him didn't look great, but he's on a four-year deal. There's there, there, there might still be something in there we need to work with. We've not seen Jaden Richardson... Jaden Richardson, as we all know, has got a lot of the tools to be a very good wing-back, potentially, if he can just sort out the, the defensive side of his game. Or he may disappear in the summer. Does Vicente Bajewin, who I still think there's a... I just think there's a player in there. Yep. You know, there's loads of these guys out there who we still don't really know an awful lot about. Um, yeah, because you don't... I mean, We don't know about Mislovic, really. No, I don't know about him. And, you know, guys didn't perform particularly well when Richardson and... Maybe Morris are kind of the obvious ones didn't perform particularly well. But then there were other players under the previous manager yeah. that weren't performing to the levels that they are now. So whether it's tactical switch or a different approach from the management team that these these players are responding to better. And, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe, Morris maybe and Richardson. Maybe can turn Richardson into a wing back. Like maybe their performances have picked up in training, but he's at the point where we're winning every week. So I'm not, you know, nobody's getting into that team. Uh, at the moment until there's injuries, suspensions or something goes horribly wrong with the form. So these guys might have picked up behind the scenes, but you're not going to change the team no. when it's winning every week. So you're right, there are there are guys there that, I mean, even from an investment point of view, you hope they turn out to be good because even just with, with those two, Richardson and Morris, I think there's at least what, well half a million uh, more than that, I mean, I think you're probably talking the guts of seven hundred grand. Don't know who you can believe for the numbers, but there's there's decent money in fees. Yeah. Never mind what they're getting paid in the duration of the contract. So you kind of hope at least one of them can turn it around and and become a regular player. Otherwise, that's quite a lot of money to have just blown. Absolutely. Um, just talking quickly about the Angus McDonald announcement again. Um, was there possibly just a little bit of a slip in terminology? from the Dons in their press release as they stated that Barry Robson 
had to strengthen his squad for the future. I think you're reading too much into oh, that. What was it you said to us again, Graham? Do you want to remind me what your view of this was? Uh, I can't remember my exact words. I don't think it was complimentary. We'll find it. We'll find it. I think. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, I think your exact quote in the in the group chat was, it's an AFC press release. It's probably just the usual lack of care and attention. Yeah, so there's my pessimism. Absolutely. But it is an interesting part. If nothing else, it's an interesting... I, th- I think it points to the fact that what we all know is probably the case is that Robson has probably been told it's his job because you're not allowing him to sign players, presumably for next season, if he's not going to be the manager. You oh, shouldn't the- be signing them, remember? I know, the old I philosophy. Know. No, I, I think there's... And even the likes of, I'm just thinking if I was Angus McDonald, you don't know when he said he had offers elsewhere, everyone always says they have offers when yeah. they sign someone And I'm sure he probably did based on his experience, the fact that he's played down there. So whether he genuinely is enjoying himself here to the point where he doesn't care who the manager is, he likes being here, or obviously whether he, he knows more than we do, and he's kind of like, I like being here, but I like being here with this management team. I'm happy to stay yeah, and he's obviously been led to believe that, that, that they're going to. So, I mean, but although we, we, we've spoken about this at length, I don't see how you can't. You can't not, not give do it now. Gig. I know, I know. It's just because when are you when are you going to get into doing it? I know. Yeah, I don't, I don't um, really know why it hasn't actually been announced. To be honest, well, maybe find out this week. Who knows? Maybe it'll be a little bit a, a, a wee bit of pre-match boost for everybody when Barry Robson's announced ahead of the game on on Sunday. Um, I guess the other big news that came out this week. Um, Gav and I touched on it with uh, Jamie and the guys on the late kickoff podcast during the week, and we, I have to apologise profusely to those boys because I, uh, Gav and I went back to have a look at their kind of normal podcast lengths, and um, they're nowhere near as long as ours was. So it turns out it's actually us. Is, we're the problem here. Never mind. Um, but we touched on it. The the rumoured introduction now of the new SPFL Conference League that's going to sit at Tier 5 level, so between effectively the, the Highland League, the Lowland League at the moment, and, and League 2. Um, chat last week obviously there's an expectation that there'll be Colt teams from Aberdeen, Celtic Hearts and Sevco who would be involved in this league alongside four sides from the Lowland League and two from the Highland League to give you a top flight or sorry to give you a conference league of 10. Now we've already spoken about this and we spoke about it a few weeks ago it feels like when some of these proposals were first mooted but Aberdeen at that point hadn't been talked about as being involved I don't think in the in the process Um it would appear that this is not something that's set in stone from the club. Um, the Evening Express ran a bit of a story on this at the back end of last week that they were still weighing up the kind of pros and cons on it. Um, there's been nothing official to come from the club at all about this either. Um, we're scheduled to sit with our new chief executive, Alan Burrows, later this week so we can perhaps ask about this and ask what the situation is. But, um, Graeme, like for me, it, it felt a little bit disappointing to see that our club were involved in this. Um it just needs to get in the bin, doesn't it? It's just, it's just a bad idea all around. Yeah, I don't, I'll be honest, I don't really know a great deal about it. I'm aware of it and I've seen, you know, some chat and there was a statement from Nairn, I think, which was, was quite interesting. I think if it, if it means that Aberdeen and other clubs have decided that we're bigger and better and we should be developing our players at the detriment of, you know, someone losing a league place or something, then I, I'm not. I don't really. I don't agree with that. I don't really matter who, how big or small you're perceived to be. You, you know, your your club's your club. You know, we we moan yeah. when we're getting bullied for transfer fees and stuff like that from clubs that shouldn't be wealthier than us or bigger. However you want to pitch it, but 
but they are, and we don't like it. So I don't really think we should be going around to other teams and saying, well, we want to develop our players. So you, you and you, your pish, you can come out of the league and we'll go into it. Um, I'm not really up for that. And I, I think we've said before, if it's if the problem is that there's not a suitable network to develop our players, bring back the reserve league. Yeah. So they get tested against men. You know, their peer. Well, yeah, their peer and returning yeah. first teamers and stuff like that. That, that feels like a because well, that doesn't also, impact anyone. And it also gives you the opportunity though to have. It's what we spoke of before. It's how do you get a guy like Carl Roberts or Shade Demolers these guys bedded back in to 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 level of fitness. At this moment in time, you're just having to wait till they're in inverted commas fit, and then you put them back into the first team, and then hope for the best. And they get chucked into a top flight game, or they get chucked into a cup game, or something where it's you know maybe a bit more high pressure. It's not really the environment to do that. Um, the thing for me, I just I don't see what the benefit to Aberdeen is. Um, I don't see what the benefit is to any of the Colt teams. I mean, I know they'll try and say, well, what well, what they will try. The only benefit I can hypothetically or theoretically see is that you can keep rather than having your under 18s who aren't ready to make the step to first team rather than you having to put them out on loan to lower league teams and you lose a little bit of control over them i guess potentially um although in saying that because i saw somebody talk about this during the week oh well that makes sense because then you 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 don't want these guys to be maybe necessarily training full-time with Kelty Hearts or whatever, but Kelty Hearts aren't full-time, so uh, Jack Milne, for example, at Kelty Hearts will come back and train full-time with Aberdeen during the week, and then he goes and trains with Kelty Hearts however many games, how many training sessions they have a week. So we're still having that level of control anyway. The only way I can see this being of any benefit to Aberdeen is that you're effectively cutting out the need to send players out on loan to lower league teams. You keep them completely within your own system and completely within your own group, and then they get the opportunity to play against in inverted commas, men from for a number of games through the season. That's literally it. But I still think the loan system is probably a better way to develop them, I think. They're playing competitive football that way. You know, the Conference League is, is going to be uncompetitive from the perspective of the fact that Colt teams can't be promoted or relegated. Or they can be promoted possibly, but only as far as... Only so far up the chain. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not really sure I can see that. And even like the loan system just opens up so many more options because it's not like they have to be loaned to in Scotland. Exactly. You know, from a point of view of getting them different styles or life experiences where you get to grow up and go and live away from home if you get loaned out, all that. You know, there's loads of ways you can develop a player in the loan system. It's where we should be making more of the use of the Atlanta United thing. Yeah, we yeah, should be sending only, more of our players out to the States, for example. And if only them. there was some sort of official link up. Exactly. Yeah. No. Uh, did you see um, that Atlanta got beat by Stephen Glass's Memphis 901? That, that, was, that was quite funny. It was, yes. Well, but that well done, Stephen. Yes. Yeah. So I, I don't really I don't really agree with it. I don't really see what it will do. And I don't really like the idea of Aberdeen being part of a group that's decided we're bigger than you guys, so we'll just make the changes we want. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see what happens because I think they're talking about that for this. I don't know if it's gonna be Highland League teams in by in inverted commas merit, or if it'll okay. be teams who apply to join. Because I think this is also part of the uh, not the challenge per se, but I think there's there's definitely some Highland League teams there who don't want to be promoted up the pyramids, which is fine. They 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 yeah, just want yeah. to keep their their space, and there will be some teams who are uh, quote unquote more ambitious and do want to move up the pyramid, and they may apply to join the league. Um, obviously, the Lone League have already kind of opened the gates of hell as far as this is concerned by allowing the three teams, the three Colt teams in, um, or or the two previously now the three this season. Um, 
it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out because effectively by doing this, you're relegating every team who is, you know, in mm-hmm. the Highland League or Lowland League down a tier already before you've even started. And a lot of these, and there are clubs out there, especially in the Lowland League, who've spent a lot of money to try and get themselves in a position to be promoted up the up the pyramid because they they had seen an avenue for it now. Um, and that's kind of being not closed off per se, but it's certainly becoming a lot harder for them. Yeah, I don't think... I don't think uh, making life harder for ambitious teams is the way to go. No, I mean, you're all, even you, you look further than leagues, I mean, like, I'm going to use the example of Darvel, which is a bad one because fuck Darvel. But, um, you know, they clearly have spent a bit of money. Um, they've clearly got an ambitious chairman, despite the fact he appears to be a bit of an idiot. Um, you know, they are at the moment, I thought it looks as though they're going to bottle getting promoted into the Lowland League, which is kind of funny. Um Although the joke's still on us, I think, from that perspective. It definitely is. It definitely <laughs> is, I know. Um, but, you know, they're effectively, you know, at the moment where they sit, they are two, you know, two tiers away from, or one tier away. They need a promotion to the Lone League and then a promotion up from the Lone League up to, to, to League Football. They are two promotions away from playing League Football. You introduce this, they're now three promotions away from it. Um, it just seems a little bit, seems a little bit harsh, I think it's fair to say, on, on teams who do have a level of ambition about them. I think so, especially when you... What did you go back to a few years ago before they had that sort yeah. of lowland highland league playoff into the league? You had, I can't remember who it was, perennial teams at the bottom yeah. getting battered every week and guys who wanted to come up couldn't. couldn't. Yeah. Was you had to wait for somebody to go teams that were getting, Yeah, the teams that were getting scudded and finished bottom. There was no, and then everyone's like, oh, the league's shit, full of dross. But you've got no, uh, you've got no mechanism for ambitious teams to actually challenge the status quo and try and move up. So I, I don't think putting an extra hurdle oh, we've said it in anyone's way is is the way forward, in my opinion. I, I'm not sure the country needs more leagues either. No, that's the thing. How many times have we said it on the show before? And we're not massive aficionados of, of, of non-leagues. I enjoy going to watch a Highland League game from time to time, right? Especially because, you know, the locals are just down the road and when they're away from home, occasionally I'll go and watch them instead. And some of my earliest memories of watching football... Um, or when like, Aberdeen would play away from home, my dad, we would go and watch, especially the Scottish Cup third round. Like I remember us going to watch, I think Huntley playing Airdrie in a Scottish Cup third round time. I think Huntley won that one. And Huntley had a really good team under Steve Patterson at that time. And they always seemed to end up with a, a league team playing them in the Scottish Cup third round. They were always good games. Um, Devon Vale against uh, Elgin, I think it was, years ago in the Scottish Cup. I think you missed this one. Were you, or were you at it? No, did I did miss it? that one. 6-5 or something daft like that. Great game of football. Brilliant stuff. But it just seems like we've spoken about loads. The way to improve the, the lower leagues in Scotland is to improve the flow of teams coming up and down. I would think so. I still think it's a nonsense, the fact that Brecon and Spartans have to play off against each other to have the privilege of then still then playing whoever it is that finishes bottom of League 2 to get promoted. Yeah, if they're going to have to go into the playoff, it should be because the winner just gets up. Yeah. Not to then, because the team that was bottom of League Two gets another stay of execution, basically. Yeah. I, I, well, my my view would be that it should be a case of whoever come. This is the challenge, I guess, for them is that they can't figure out you can't promote just one of them. Yeah. So it should either be that the top two, it's two down and two up, automatic in League Two to the high. So whoever wins the high leagues up and whoever wins the low leagues up. And then the two drop out. And if they can't quite make it work from a geographic perspective, then you're going to have to live with that for a year or two until you kind of can figure it all out. Anyway, it's uh, it needs to get in the bin. We'll see what Alan Boros has to say about it during the week. Um, talking about loans, because obviously that's part of the, 
the the reason that uh, the Commerce League is being talked about. Uh, Lone Watch, Conor McLennan for St. Johnson, no game for St. Johnson this weekend. Kieran Nguyenia, uh, Wraith Rovers, he's back in the starting lineup. Last the full 90 minutes as Wraith Rovers went down by one goal to nil to Air United in the Championship. Wraith Rovers, unique in the position of this coming Friday in the Championship. They're the only team with literally nothing to play for <laughs> in the in the Championship. Mental League, although if you sat and watched Dundee Cove Rangers on Friday night, you probably deserve a medal. That was uh, brutal stuff, is the best way to put it. Although Mark Reynolds putting a hell of a shift with some epic shithousery, along with Shea Logan as well, it's fair to say. Uh, Jack Milne at Kelsey Hearts, another full 90 minutes for Jack. A third man of the match performance from him in the last five games as he's recovered from going viral as Kelty Hearts won 2-1 against Peterhead in League 1, and that's a result that consigns the Blue Toon to relegation to League 2, although it feels like that's been coming for ooh, six months now. I can't believe it's taken that long. Yeah, I'm surprised it's gone down to what second last game. Yeah, <laughs> second last game. You're, yeah, you're right. It did feel like that was tells you how bad Clyde have been this season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a bit. I don't have any affiliation with Purehead, but I guess from the, the days where they were sort of trading promotions with Gretna and both working their way up to probably a few seasons of arguably punching above their weight in terms of budget, and, and it's probably not the easiest to attract people for what they can they can no. pay. It's a bit of a pity, you know, probably just becomes difficult for them to then work their way back up again. Yeah, I'm not sure if I say a pity. I'm not sure if I go that far. Yeah, you and Gavin have got a... There's a lot of fans of a certain team in Peterhead, so, you know... Yeah, you get them everywhere. You do. Anyway, Aaron Reid, Evan Tyler, Elgin said to Tyler missing out again with injury, but Aaron Reid started, played the full 90. Elgin scoring an injury time winner, 90 minutes plus four to see off Dumbarton by one goal to nil in League Two. That's a win that ensures they will be playing League Two football next season. It's now a straight shootout between Bonnie Regros and Albion Rovers to avoid a playoff against Breaking or Spartans. Anthony Stewart not in the squad again as the MK Dons drew 4-4 with Barnsley in League One. Uh, the Dons of a Milton Keynes variety still in danger of relegation as they go into the final game in League One, level on points with Morecambe and Cambridge. So one of those three will be exiting. Dean Campbell out of the match day squad, but Stevenage's 2-0 win over Grimsby Town secures promotion to League One for Big Bad. Steve Evans' side, he must have found one last big burn envelope down the back of that sofa. Dante Povara. this sofa? A big, well, he's a big Based lad. Based on how many envelopes you think he's finding. He's a big lad though, right? You're... Anyway, shall we move on? I think we shall. Dante Povara, Charleston Battery, played 77 minutes as the battery fell to their first defeat of the season by two goals to one to wait for the name of this team, the Colorado Springs Switchbacks in the USL Championship. They do know how to name their teams, don't they? They certainly do. They really do. Um, there we go. Is that the same division Memphis are in? Uh, oh, good question. I think it is. Yeah, I think they're I was USL just wondering how they were getting on. Obviously... Cup victories over ex-employers aside. Memphis haven't been doing very well in the league. Um, Have they not? No, let me just... Um, Colour me surprised. <laughs> let me have a look I'm sure they're in the same league. Um, caught me on the hop here, Graham. Memphis, Memphis. Memphis 901, they have played in the league. They're, they're actually in Charleston Battery's conference. What are they split? Is that geographic? They're split Eastern and Western okay. as well. Well, no, it's the usual. It's like they're split Eastern and Western, but then it makes 
Actually, no, this actually appears to have been split on a geographic basis. You know how you get like the Eastern and Western conferences and a lot of shit, and you're like, that makes no sense because like, they're not in the East. There's a lot of American West. stuff about American sports that I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, so uh, let's have a look here. So you've got... Uh, so Charleston Battery, top of the Eastern Conference of the USL Championship. Memphis sitting in 10th out of 12. Played 6, won 1, drew 3, lost 2. Uh, so yeah, they also have the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. 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 Yeah. So they're excellent in their, in their in their league. So there we go. Was there any El Paso Locomotive FC? They're in the Western Division. And Las Vegas Lights. I feel bad taking the piss, but it's, it's hard not to, isn't it? There's also Loudon United FC. Yeah, presumably sure Loudon sure Tavern. I don't like them. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I don't like them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they seem like bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, there we go. That's a that's a route down the USL Championship. I never thought I'd be looking at that league this season, but here, there we go. And on to the young team, a fourth defeat on the spin for the young team as their season threatens. Let's try saying that after a couple of beers. Let's try that again. On to the young team, a fourth defeat on the spin for the young team as their season threatens to peter out with a whimper. Three 0 defeat this time out in Glasgow at Rangers on Tuesday night. Alfie Bavish back in the start lineup in place of the suspended. Cammy Wilson, and after a fairly evening, a fairly even opening 45 minutes, the sides went in goals at halftime. The Dons then hitting the bar in the opening minutes of the second half through Emsley. But the Dons made to pay for their profligacy in goal. Stevens with the opening goal for the host on 58 minutes before the home side were awarded a penalty. Just as well you're surprise, sitting there. Surprise, surprise. Yep. What, what a shock. Uh, just two minutes later, that penalty arriving. Curtis slotting home from the 12-yard mark before they made it 3 with a couple minutes to go, Curtis with another effort that came in off the post, nestling in the net. Next up for the young team, it's Hearts away on Friday afternoon. And for the women, four changes to the Dons from the side that beat United last time out as Aberdeen welcomed Motherwell to the Balmoral in wet and misty conditions on Sunday afternoon. Bailey Collins, Hannah Stewart and Francesca Ogilvie all coming back in in place of Maya Christie, Eva Thompson and Nadine Hansen with on-loan Celtic goalkeeper India Marwaha making her debut in place of Annalisa McCann. India, I'm so sorry about my pronunciation. I'm assuming that was terrible, but hey, there we go. It was the visitors, though, who got off to a faster start. Rice going close from 25 yards, just past Marwaha's goal. Then the Dons forced three chances in quick succession that they should have scored from Uckert, with an effort coming off the underside of the bar before her cross then found Hutchison, but her effort flew off target before Ailey Shore and Hannah Stewart set up Bailey Hutchison, who then found Bailey Collins, but her effort was tipped over the bar by well goalkeeper Much. And despite the Don's pressure, it was the visitors who took the lead on the stroke of halftime, Birchall with a 25-yard effort in off the bar. The Don's quicker off the blocks in the second half, Ogilvy's effort tipped over Much again before Hutchison had an effort well smothered by the Motherwell goalkeeper. And then the visitors hitting the home side with a classic sucker punch. Boys curling in an effort from 20 yards past Marwaha. Maya Christie on for Ogilvy. Gover on for Patterson in the second half for the Dons, but they couldn't force any consolation as the visitors took home the points. Next up, Glasgow women on Wednesday night for a trip to Spartans next Sunday. And I think, Graham, that'll do us for this half, will it? Yes, it shall. Indeed. Join us on the other side for part two of our interview with Russell Anderson. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street. 
Aberdeen. And with May Day fast approaching, join the gang for the biggest day in Siberia's yearly calendar on Sunday the 30th of April from midday, featuring music from Home Alone, All Night Passion and much, much Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. Before we move on to part two of our interview with Russell, we just want to give a quick shout out to those of you who continue to make your contributions to the Beer and Coffee Fund this week, including Jeff Morin, Paul Ramsey and Stug1903. We see you. Your bread's appreciated. If you'd like to help keep us fueled in beers or coffees, please head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash ABZ Football Podcast. The link's in the description. Shout out a beer or a coffee, more likely it'll be spent on podcasting, hosting. But there we go. It's much appreciated, all the same. And what did we do this week, Graham? That's right. Merch. Yes, merch. Yep. Merch, not branded with our faces on them or our silly... Because oh, we want to shift some. Yeah, exactly. Or our silly logo. But we've been working on this for a little while now. Um, so we've launched a new... Um, I don't want to say brand. That sounds very wanky, doesn't it? I don't want to talk about, yeah, corporate. Yeah, brand's a bad thing. Anyway, we've got a new label. We're selling some stuff. We're selling some shit. Head over a-b24.co.uk. Um, obviously, released last week. So the whole idea is here. We've hooked up with the guys from Stierna Apparel, um, who do some great stuff. We've hooked up with a number of different podcasts um, in Scotland. They do a lot of sponsorship with these guys. But the guys at Stierna are uh, producing the materials for us. Everything's going to be effectively kind of retro-inspired. We've obviously released the Theo 91 track top last week, which is a beauty. It's fair to say. It's one I was really pleased to get over the line because it's the first goalkeeper kit I think about when I think about Theo. That was followed up on Monday night with the Jess 91 track top, which I think we'll all agree is... Chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, there's more to come. We're not gonna. We're not gonna stop there. Um, but if you want to head on over, have a look at the gear. It looks it's quality. The actual finished products themselves are quality as well. A dash B twenty four dot co dot uk is the website for it. Um, if you see anything you like, please go ahead buy it, and that means we can then obviously fund more of these types of things going forward. It's much appreciated. And the first sales for the Theo ninety one top have gone. Swimmingly, it's fair to say. So yeah, so thank you to everyone who's had a look and decided that they like what they see. And uh, yeah, it'll be easy to spot the stylish chaps and chapettes on our European trip this summer. Yes, indeed, indeed. Right, let's move on then. So part two, well, part one of our interview with Russell Anderson was in last week's episode, episode one hundred. Went down really well, I think, with a lot of people. I think there were maybe a few people a bit dubious because Russell's previous appearance on Open Goal was maybe what we might call a little bit dry. Um, but it was brilliant. Really good value in, in part one. As you'll remember, at the end of part one, Russell had just left Aberdeen from his first stint to move to Sunderland. So part two, that's where we pick up the story on his move to Sunderland. And then, of course, all the way back to lifting the League Cup at Parkred in 2014. Russell, welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. So when we left off last time around, you just finalised your move to Sunderland, newly promoted to the Premier League with Roy Keane in charge. Um, when you were making the move down south, did did Roy give you kind of much of an indication there about the kind of sort of game time you could maybe expect or was it just one of these moments of 
get down, kind of prove yourself, see where it goes? It was more the latter, to be honest. Um, I mean, he, he spoke really well, sold the club. Um, if, if you needed sold, to be honest. And you, you kind of still see it now. He's got a, an aura about him. Um, there's a charisma that you can't help but be um, impressed with how he speaks and well, how he spoke when he was talking to me about signing. And then you went down, you saw the stadium, the training ground, and you just spoke to people around about. Uh, you kind of realised, I think I said before, that you'll get players that will come and go at different clubs and maybe don't have any um, connection with them. So it takes maybe some time longer than others to to understand what that um, club means to, to supporters. Um, and like I said, I think I, I tried to do a, a bit of research, reading up on things just to see. So you weren't going in completely blind. Um, but yeah, it was a, a really big opportunity. Um, and the way that they'd kind of finished the season before by um, winning the the league, the championship from starting so badly. Um, there was a really good feel about the club. Ever get to see much of uh, Roy's darker side, shall we say? Regularly. <laughs> <laughs> and to be honest, there's a lot of people have asked me, what, what's he like? And when you watch him now on TV and um, I've been at a couple of dinners that he's been speaking at, he's, he's no different. I think that's what you, the one thing that you'll get with him, he's just honest. Um maybe too honest at times for his own good when he was a manager. I think sometimes you have to try and massage egos um, just to to get the players playing for you, um, especially when you've got a changing room with some big um, characters. But he was, yeah, he, he's not really changed any. When you see his, um, his bits and pieces on TV when he's summarising, commentating, whatever, then he, he'll just... Like I say, he's, he's honest as the day is long. Um, and some people like that. It's refreshing. Like I say, I think depending on the, the circumstances and how the team is doing, sometimes it can it can go down um, like a lead balloon, shall we say. Obviously, your time in England is, is kind of marred with injury problems. And we don't need to rest out go into a lot of the detail on that just now. You know, both your time at Sundown and then um, on the loan spells you had as well at Plymouth and Burnley. But when you kept on having those setbacks, and we touched upon it in, in, in part one about the kind of mental tool that takes, not just a physical tool. Was there any thoughts for you at that point when you were down south about thinking about, you know, jacking the game in, given just the, the level of problems you were having in terms of just getting fit? Uh, I wouldn't say. I think there was there was one low point just at the end at Derby when it happened again. I think if you, if you work your way through... The, the different kind of injuries that we had. The, the one at Sunderland fairly early on when I had to get my ankle reconstructed, it meant I was out for a while, but I got back. And to be honest, I hadn't had an injury for um, quite a while, to be honest. So from that point of view, it was just, well, you, you do your rehab, you get back and you try and, and get fit and see, uh, see what happens. So that in itself, you look at it in isolation, wasn't too bad. Um, then the following season, I went to, to Burnley um, and four games in, I did my cruciate again. And that probably was a bit of a, a, a hammer blow, to be honest, um, because we were, I was, like I say, supposed to be there for the season, um, just signed and we'd actually picked up since I'd gone. Um, and they ended up winning uh, the playoff that season um, and going up. So I managed four games and... After that, came back to Sunderland. So that was a bit of a, a challenge, to be honest. Um, 
And it took most of the season to try and get fit again after the operation. Um, Owen Coyle at Burnley was really good. Um, I went down still a couple of times uh, just probably to break up my rehab as much as anything. Um, stay there for a couple of days, do bits and pieces. Um, and then towards the end of the season when I was back training but not fit, um, match fit anyway, the season had finished um, the regular season, but because they'd got to the playoffs, um, they were going to well carry on for hopefully semi-final and the final. So I went back down to train as much for my own benefit as anything, just to try and get some um, training under my belt. Um, and uh, like I say, they, they ended up beating Sheffield United in the final, which was a really good experience. Mm-hmm. And then he came back in for me in the summertime to sign. Um, and I broke down in training um, round about that time. I had a, um, a recurrence of the, the knee injury, which um, kept me out another operation and another few months out. So if you look at them in isolation, you think you just have to be strong enough to um, actually get on with it. But the, the timing of how things happened and, and the chance, like I say, to, to go to Burnley that season, um, the following season when they were in the Premier League, and it, it was undone again by injury. Um eventually uh, got back fit uh, and by that point the manager had changed again at Sunderland Steve Bruce was in um, and he was honest enough to say that I needed to go out and play um, which he was he was true he was right um, so at that point there I went to, to Derby um, and it was that end of that um, that period at Derby where I, um, I tore my hamstring tendon just out of nothing, really. That was the low point, I would say. Um, that was the point where we decided as a family um, we were just going to pack up and come back up the road because um, the boys were getting to an age where my eldest one was in primary seven, so you were already thinking about what was going to happen um, for his schooling after the summertime. Um, and when when that happened and I realised I was going to be out for the rest of that season it likely anyway, I think we just made the call that enough was enough, to be honest. So that was probably the, the lowest point of the low uh, when we were there. After leaving Derby in December 2011, it's announced the 17th of January 2012 that you were returning to Aberdeen initially to the end of that campaign with a view to getting you effectively to a point of fitness. Um, interestingly, though, you were instantly made club captain as well, coming back in. So you kind of touched on it there that there was already a bit of a decision made on, on a personal level to think about coming back up the road anyway. But in terms of the move back to Aberdeen, how did how did that come about? And I'm presuming Craig Brown didn't have to convince you too much about making the choice to come to Aberdeen again. I felt like I had to convince him, to be honest. Um, I spoke to Craig that previous summer and we'd, we'd had a chat about... Um, he was keen to know I would be interested in coming back at that point. Um, and whilst I was, and it was, I was really tempted by it, there was still a part of me felt like I hadn't really proved myself in the time that I'd been there. Um, it wasn't that long prior to that that we'd moved to Derby. So the kids had just moved school again. And I kind of thought I, I had one season um, my contract at Derby and I thought, well, I'd rather have a go at it and just see so, um, but the, the conversation was very amicable and I think the way that it panned out, I maybe thought subconsciously that uh, there might be an opportunity further down the line, uh, depending on how things played out. Uh, so it was more actually when we decided to come back up, I, I spoke to Craig and asked really as a favour if... <laughs> 
I could use the facilities and the physios, to be honest, when I say use them, probably they were uh, probably devastated that I was coming back because it was going to be more time um, spent on me. Um, but the physios at the time, John Sharp and Davey Wiley, uh, Craig had already kind of agreed that I could come back before he even asked them. Um, so I, I did the polite thing and messaged Sharpie to see if he would, um, if he would help me out. Uh, and he did, and I was. That was the, the one of the big draws for me is that Sharpie had got me fit a couple of times before, and I suppose even though I'd been away a few years, he probably knew my body as as well as anybody. Um, so the the opportunity to use the facilities and try and get fit, um, I suppose, at the end of that, I thought if I could get something out of it, then it would be the ideal outcome. But I didn't come back up with any expectations of getting a contract because I just had to look at my um, playing record over the last four and a half years to realise that um, I hadn't played an awful lot and they wouldn't just be giving contracts out based on um, somebody's past performance because um, it doesn't work that way. Uh, so I suppose I was I was hopeful, um, a small part of me anyway, but. In reality, based on, like I say, the last four and a half years, I wasn't overly confident just because of um, what, had, what had gone on. A couple of months it takes, um, but then back into the first team, come off the bench at Tyne Castle on the 31st of March 2012. Last 15 minutes, it's a, it's a disappointing 3-0 defeat on day, but putting that to one side, for you on a personal level, must have been A, a great feeling to get back on the field, full stop, B, to do it as an Aberdeen player again. Yeah, it was mixed emotions on the day because, yeah, one, I was delighted to get back um, to be playing again for Aberdeen. But also, like you say, it was a 3-0 defeat. And at the back of my mind, as much as I um, I was delighted to be back, I kind of knew that I had a fair bit to go in terms of being match fit. Um, and I said it all along, I didn't want to come back up the roads and people think, well, he's gone, he's done. Um, and he's not actually bringing anything to the team. He's actually making the team worse. So the rest of that season, that was a constant battle for me in terms of I didn't think my form was good. I didn't think I was up to the level that, um, like I say, would improve the team. Um, and it kind of got to the point at the end of that season that I was actually seriously considering just calling it a day because I didn't want to play at the level where I thought I was actually... Um, hindering the team rather than helping them um, but I think again I'll give Sharpie the credit for it, he told me to just basically go and do a proper pre-season and, how, and see how I would feel after that and I did a lot of work that close season and then I, that was probably the first proper pre-season I had in a while um, and I just gradually started to, to feel um, more normal I suppose and get up to the pace of the game got my eye in and it was just a gradual process after that. Yeah, and you can see it because that following season, there's there's 35 appearances for you that season, um, which would have been, you know, pretty much almost, not quite, but nearly as many games combined as it had been in the, the four seasons previously. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. Obviously, Craig Brown and Archie Knox, they decided to step aside for the final post-split games um, that saw Derek McInnes come in. Before we move on to Derek, but just, I guess, Craig Brown's reputation as the nicest man in football, well-deserved. I would say yes, but he had this saying, and I kind of agree with it, you shouldn't mistake um, being nice for being soft. I don't think you can be a, a manager 
for that length of time um, in a career in a business as, such as football uh, without having to make difficult decisions and, and being ruthless at certain times. Um, so, yeah, um, he basically gave me the opportunity to extend my career where probably not any, not many other people would have done so. So I owe him an, an awful lot of um, credit for that. Um, and I think if you look at um, the players that he signed prior to obviously leaving and then Derek McInnes coming in, I think had the makings of a really good team. Um, now, we didn't quite get over the line in terms of, I suppose, what he would have seen and what we probably would have seen as being um, successful. Um, but I think the building blocks were there for a good team. And it, obviously, Derek McInnes took it on to the next level when he came in and, and signed a few more of his own players. Yeah, because I think that's the thing, isn't it? I think a lot of people now, in retrospect, you go back and look at, especially that last season with Craig and Archie, that I think it was too many draws from recollection going back and looking. But defensively, we'd kind of really tightened up. I think we had a really good, maybe had like the third or fourth best defensive record in the league that season, potentially. And, and as you say, there's like guys like Johnny Hayes, now I'm getting come in the door. The foundations are kind of starting to be put in place for what happens over the next couple of seasons. Yeah. When it's announced that Derek is coming in alongside Tony Doherty, I mean, would you would you have had much in the way of any dealings with Derek or Tony or any kind of people you played with before who'd played under them before or just a completely new guy coming in? Completely new guy. I think, well, I'd played against him a couple of times at Dundee United. Mm-hmm. But in terms of Doc, no, nothing at all. Um, so it was very kind of limited in terms of any contact, connection, relationship at all. It was a, a funny one as well, because normally when a manager leaves or a new one comes in, it's for one or two reasons, and more often than not, in my experience, it's because the previous one's been sacked. Whereas this was a gradual uh, transition. There was a handover period, which is unusual for football. Um, it was kind of strange in a way, um, the way it was done. I, I don't think it was... Uh, I'm not saying it was good or bad. It was just different to any other change of manager that I'd come across. Um, and I, I've never heard of it really since, to be honest. Um, so, no, my um, my uh, relationship with Derek McInnes was, well, like I say, never really had anything um, to do with him prior to him getting the job. When he comes in for that first like five games post-split, is that, in a weird way as well, that's probably putting everyone in the dressing room on a bit of notice, isn't it? You've kind of almost got five games here to try and impress the new manager going into the new season. Did he at any time kind of pull you to the side, you know, indicate that, you know, at the time obviously your club captain, he's going to keep it that way, you know, this is what he's kind of going to try and do, or was it the same for yourself, kind of like, I've got these five games and I kind of need to prove myself again? I think, if you're being honest, anyone in that boat, doesn't matter which position you've got in the club, you should never take it for granted and think that um, my place is safe and secure. Is the, the time, obviously, that the manager, Derek, had, he had to watch games, countless amounts of games from um, that season, previous season, um, just to, to give him the time to, to prepare, I suppose, and, and work out where he felt that the, uh, the team needed improving and where he could add players to, to improve the team. Um, so... I suppose from my point of view, I was kind of in a, a position where it hadn't been that long ago that I hadn't been playing for, for a long, long time. And then there was this uh, change of manager from the the, the, the manager that had uh, basically given me a second chance. Uh, so I was just at that point um, enjoying my football more because 
is, like I say, a, like what you say, I, I played a lot more games that season than I'd done um, continuously for a while. Um, and even though the, the results kind of underwhelmed a wee bit, like you say, I think defensively we'd been okay. Um, and I suppose it was just like you always kind of look, I felt as if I had to go and just prove myself again to a new manager. During this period, the back end of Craig Brown and then into the, the, the start of Derek McInnes era, yourself and Danger Man Reynolds develop a really, really good relationship um, at the heart of the defence. What is it you think about just, I guess, the styles of play between yourself and Mark that complemented each other so well? Um, I think the balance, it, it sounds obvious, but having a left side and a right side and centre half, I've played left sided plenty of times when I was younger and I, I got better at it. Some people may disagree, but I did feel more comfortable the longer you did it. But to, to be honest, having that balance, um, the pace that Reynolds brought as well, I think was reassuring. Um, there was a lot of the time, if, if we ever got caught out for whatever reason, then you knew that he had the recovery in the vast majority of cases. Um, and I think we just had a a good understanding which just came from playing games to be honest um it just builds and grows with the, the more game time you play with each other um and having a settled back four because we didn't really make that many changes um i think that also helped um and the other thing i would say as well is having a, a midfield in front of you um jacko was um was a big help um a lot of the time it goes unnoticed but if you've got someone that's um stopping the supply up to the strikers and basically just patrolling that area in front of you, it does make your job an awful lot easier as a centre-half. And that wasn't just Jacko, it was Willow as well, um, Baz when he was in the team or whoever else. Um, so I felt like we had a good, solid kind of unit there, um, which made our job easier as centre-halves. A few more characters join up in that first pre-season. Will Flood, Barry Robson in particular, um, who are really integral, I think, to that huge improvement that comes in that first season. I guess just what, what did the, that pair in particular bring, do you think, to the club? Not just in terms of what they did on the field, but personality off the field as well. I think that's probably the perfect word to describe it, personality. Um, in the changing room, on the pitch, um, Will was one of those would cause an argument or an empty room. Um, but he was the kind of person that you could rely on. Um, likewise, Baz, plenty of experience, good player as well. And I think adding them to the to the midfield area, I think, gave us a bit of bite, um, a bit of dig that we needed. But they could also play, and I, we wouldn't want to underplay that. Um, I think they were just really good signings. And when you think about successful teams, um, the spine of the team is is huge. And if you can get a strong spine, um, then it gives you a great platform to have a, a successful team. And I think adding the likes of Willow and Baz into that, we already had Jack with that point. Uh, you were looking at the midfield thinking, like I say, it was compact. Willow could run, he was aggressive, tackle, but he could also pass the ball. And he popped, popped up with the occasional goal as well, I think. The, the one at the Richard Donald end, was it Hibs that we were playing when we won 1-0? Hibs on the TV, yeah. Yeah, uh -huh. um, and it looked like it was going to just end up being a nil-nil because it was very late towards the end of the game, and he pops up with a goal like that. And yeah, they were important signings for for the team, but like you say, um, not just on the pitch but off the pitch as well. Quickly, because it's topical. Um, as we're talking at the moment, this won't go out for a few weeks yet. But as we're talking um, tonight, 
there's a lot of chatter that Barry Robson is going to be given the, the, the Don's gig until at least the end of the, the season, potentially. Being in a dressing room with Barry, did you always think he was kind of destined to go on to, to, to be a, a coach manager? Uh, possibly, because I'm not sure what else Buzz would do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, yeah, I think so. Um, he talks football near enough all the time. Um, and like I say, he's had a really good career. He's got a lot of experience from playing. Um, he's obviously been in the academy now for, for a few seasons and he's been working away there, probably building his experience from a coaching side um, because they are two very different things. Um, and I, I kind of thought that um, it wasn't the first time that they kind of leaned on him when they were looking for someone to, to, to plug the gap short term. And I, I kind of thought, who knows how it plays out, but I thought the longer that he stays in the position in terms of a temporary basis and the better he does, the more difficult it will be for them to choose somebody else. Um, they've got a, a stability about them now. Um, looks like they recruited well in January in terms of they've tightened up at the back, which I think was the main um, the main failing um, prior to, to Barry coming in. Um, it doesn't matter how good your players are further forward, we've already touched on it if you can't keep clean sheets and you don't have a strong spine to your team then that all pretty quickly unravels um, so I think he identified fairly quickly what, what the issue was and he's gone about doing something about that um, and it was only one window and not really an awful lot of time to be honest, um, so who knows what they'll decide to do um, I'm really uh, I'm as in the dark as anyone else. Uh, but I think from what he's done so far, um, like I say, the longer he's in the job, um, the way that he's kind of turned it around from that real lack of confidence, it was pretty obvious, pretty evident. Um, he seems to have got them back now playing with confidence. Um, for me, between now and the end of the season, um, it will be the away form uh, because the home form wasn't really an issue. Um, most of the, the games were being won comfortably at home. Um, they were outscoring teams. And even if they were conceding, like I say, they were still had enough in their armour to, to go and um, score quite a few at home. It's, as everyone's probably more than aware of, it's, it's been the away form that's let them down. Um, so I think that would be the probably the, the gauge to see how, how things play out for the rest of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Going back to that 2013-2014 season then, um, a really good start to the season. And that was something that Aberdeen hadn't really done for a number of years, was get off to a, a good start. Just three defeats in the league in our opening 14 games. We get through to the League Cup semi-finals. A huge 2-0 win uh, for Park in the quarterfinals, despite being down to 10 men for 80 minutes after Joe Shaughnessy gets sent off. Um, that solid form remains right the way through the festive period. And then there's this brilliant run in February. First of all, the League Cup semi-final at Tynecastle against St. Johnston. Just your memories of that one, because it probably must have been a little bit odd to play at Tyne Castle with three stands worth of Aberdeen fans in it for one thing. Great atmosphere that afternoon. It was one of those afternoons where just everything seemed to kind of go right for us. Yeah, I think you're right. The first thing I would say is played in much bigger grounds with um, bigger crowds, but I can't remember being in a game that the as noisy as it was, it was literally really difficult to speak because Shea had obviously just signed. Yeah. So that was his first game. So you're thrown in with a right back that you've never played before. Um, trying to communicate with your teammates was extremely difficult just because of the 
the noise of the crowd. Um, I think 4-0 flattered us, I have to be honest. I think by the end of the game, you would say, yeah, we were comfortable winners. But the first half, we didn't really do ourselves justice. And I think it was the, the threat, which I suppose was the way that that season kind of panned out in many ways of uh, Johnny and, and Pete Pollock. I think um, they got us ahead. But I always remember the, the save that Jamie had at 1-0 when he was it um, Stevie May that he touched that shot around the post or was it uh, I can't remember but I know, I know the one you mean there was one anyway that you thought uh, you, you look at um, moments and games and for me that was that was huge um, so to get in 2-0 at half time we hadn't actually played that well you're thinking well um, we've probably yeah we haven't we didn't deserve it and then the second half I thought we were better we managed the game a lot better um, and it kind of worked in our favour that they had nothing to lose. They had to come out and try and get back to us, which opened the game up a little bit for us to hit them in the break. So by the end of it, you're you're 4-0 up. And I remember before the game, I was um, already on a booking um, from the Motherwell game, and the manager had said to me, obviously, you get another booking, then you miss the final. Um, but I think he just wanted me to ask me as much as anything if that would make me hesitate in any situation, which clearly it wouldn't. Um, so uh, it must have been about 10, 15 minutes to go. I came off um, when the game was won. Um, and I think I was actually already off when Johnny scored the fourth one, I think it was. Um, which kind of just sealed what was an incredible day, actually. I was just going to ask about that because you are subbed off with like 10 minutes to go. Alan Tate comes on. and The game's won. Is that one of those rare opportunities as a player where you can actually just kind of like soak up what is at that point an incredible atmosphere knowing the game's done and dusted and just kind of enjoy it more than anything else yeah it doesn't happen very often and I'm sure the boys on the pitch were enjoying it knowing that um, we were 3-4 up um, and going to a final but yeah uh, when you were sitting there thinking how quickly that whole day just passed Mm. like all of these kind of occasions they do there's such a big build up to it and before you know it it's it's gone in a flash, um, but no, it was like I say that the overriding memory for me was the the, the noise of the crowd there. Um, it was incredible to see the, the three stands full, um, and there's there's a lot of people still mention it. People falling down the stairs because they had too much to drink, all this kind of stuff. Um, it was just an incredible atmosphere. It was. We back that up with a. An excellent 2-1 win at Parkhead the following week in the fifth round of the Scottish Cup. So despite going down a goal early doors to Anthony Stokes, we rallied behind, putting a really good performance. I personally think it's our best performance of that season, actually, this this game here. Yeah. There's a certain Russell Anderson volleys home to pull us level, and Peter Pollock grabbing the winner in the second half. In terms of the game itself, would you tend to agree that was probably up there with the best performance? And also, where does that goal rank in the Russell Anderson goal collection? Uh, it would have to be top, I would say. Try to think any others. Um, I think it would. Um, I think I also agree. I think that game itself, it was just that period where we just won the semi-final. Everything seemed to be clicking with the team. Um, we were playing well. We were working hard, um, defending well, not giving up much in games, and we had a threat that we were able to score uh, goals um, when we needed to. So, yeah, I would agree that. That game itself, I think, was probably 
looking back now, the, the best one of the season um, in terms of performance going away there. I know they weren't at the level that they, you would look at them now, but uh, you still, you think about some of the players that they had in their team, um, Van Dijk, um, the likes of, it was still a, a good result and a good performance to go down there. And I think, I thought we deserved it. Yeah, uh, we absolutely did. And I think it felt to me as well, it was like a massive moment just for that team as well, because winning the semi-final was great and it really was. But we didn't, as you're right, we didn't really play that well. But to then to back it up with a win at Parkhead in the Scottish Cup is just starts to build that mentality, doesn't it, within the team about yeah. just what this team can be capable of. And that takes us all the way forward then to the 16th of March, 2014. Um, we've spoken to a number of the guys who played in the final now, but I guess just, Russell, your own recollection of the build-up to the final. And you're the only, I'm pretty certain when I say this, I think you're the only local lad we've spoken to who was in the team as well that day so far. Did you feel any additional pressure? Because club captain, but also local boy as well, and, and, and an Aberdeen fan going into it. As bizarre as this sounds, I actually felt more pressure going into the semi-final than I did the final because the way that things had been for me the last few years, I honestly didn't expect, as selfish as this sounds or maybe as um, negative as it sounds, reaching cup finals at the point I was just trying to get back and extend my career, it felt further down the line, not something I was really focusing on. So to get that opportunity, so when we got to the semi-final, um, that was probably the point where I thought I'm not sure I'm going to get another chance because you, you rewind back to that season when we got to two cup finals um, it was an awful long way um, a long time ago and you think it's taken this long to get back um, to have an opportunity to win another final uh, so like I say the pressure for me was more trying to get through the semi the final you think yeah um, the build-up to it itself, the main memory for me was it wasn't just a one-off. It was every day we came back from training. There was a queue of supporters outside the club shop, all the way up the side of the main stand, people just buying tickets, queuing for hours to buy tickets. And I think what probably helped that was the fact that we were playing Cali Thistle mm-hmm. in terms of um, families buying tickets and going down together. Um, also the fact that they weren't going to take a big support with them. So there was a, a much bigger allocation for us. But that was the one thing. Every time you came back from the training ground, there was another queue. And it was. I think it probably did make the players um, sit up and take notice and think, wow, we've got um, an incredible following that's going to be coming down here to support us. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because I guess, you know, if you're if you're from the area, you can't, you know what the kind of untapped potential of the club can be if things are going well. And not just from the Aberdeen or Aberdeenshire area, you know, there's a huge support in the kind of West Coast, the Central Belt and everything as well. But do you think as well for the players who who just come in, that must be just such a massive like moment of, Jesus, like this yeah. is unbelievable. I mean, I, mean, I don't think, I, I can't think in a situation where there will ever be 43,000 supporters of any club at a cup final in Scotland yeah. ever again, let alone from, from a, a side like Aberdeen, for example. Yeah, I mean, you, you go back to my point before about players coming into clubs and maybe not understanding or, or knowing the history. It's not their fault. It's just the way football works. Um, so I think for some of them, it probably did. I mean, you, you say that I probably understood more than others. That still surprised me. Um, that you, you know that there's this support, this fan base there that um, 
if they've got a team to be proud of, then the punters will turn out and back you to the to the hilt. But even that, like I say, surprised me. Um, the the level of the the supporters that were coming out to to buy the tickets and, and queuing, like I say, day after day. Yeah, and it could have been more. Remember the uh, police didn't allow any tickets to be sold above the kind of Cali end and all that kind of stuff. So it could have been a lot more as it turned out. The day itself, the bus journey into Parkhead, coming up to the stadium, seeing that kind of level of support out there, a special moment. But at the same time, I must that must be a little bit daunting as well because it is that whole like shit. Like yeah, like we're, we we went in his favourites, overwhelming yeah. favourites on the day. The expectation, the weight of that, that can make people freeze. That's a that's a huge moment. It's a huge positive, but can be a negative as well. Yeah, I, I suppose it, it can work one of two ways. Um, I have to be honest, I don't remember too much about the actual bus journey in. Um, I am pretty sure that the manager had a video put together um, trying to inspire the players um, that was played just before we started to get to the to the ground, um, which is not uncommon. Um, I might be wrong. I'm sure that's what happened. Um, but then, as you say, that um, the the supporters outside. But genuinely, that part of it, I, I don't remember too much about. It's just a bit of a um, a blur, to be honest. It's not until you actually got into the um, the ground and that um, the warm up, that kind of stuff, um, that you, yeah, my, my uh, memory is a bit better about that part. <laughs> Do you remember anything particularly said to the team, to the squad, before you left the dressing room for the final time before kickoff? No, because I think, and I, I think the manager deserves a lot of credit for this. In the build-up to it, as much as we've spoken about the the level of support, engagement, excitement about the game, um, he tried to make it as normal as possible. Because I think, and, and I agree, he felt that because we hadn't been in this position for a while, you didn't want the occasion to overshadow. Um, the players um, and forget about the actual game and more remember the occasion and everything about it in terms of the changing room beforehand it was no different as bizarre as it sounds um, it wasn't really any different to any other game um, which everyone's got their own routine their their way of kind of preparing for games coping some people will be a bit noisier than others some will just listen to their music my um, routine was no different to um, what it was for any other game there was the usual, I suppose, words with certain players, usual uh, pre-match warm-up, stretch and all that kind of stuff. So it really wasn't any different to any other game that we played that season. The game itself, as we all know, is awful. Um, yes, it, it was my stag do this weekend. So I distinctly remember my hangover kicking and I think during the first period of extra time because that's how long it appeared this game was going on for with nothing happening. Although, in saying that, you nearly grabbed the opener with another volley, this time at the other end of Parkhead, which smacks off the post. Yeah. On to penalties, though. Um, <laughs> where were you in the list to have to step up? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> uh, I think it was uh, ahead of Calvin Zola. That's all I'm <laughs> um, Probably for... Eighth or ninth, I would have said. Um, so I have to be honest. The, the way that it kind of played out, um, to be ahead so early, um, there was still part of me, like everybody else, thought this is too easy. <laughs> Someone's going to go wrong. Um, but the, the quality of the penalties um, yeah. from our side, and it's funny, when you saw me, Nicky Lowe, step up, I really fancied Nicky. Um, and Scott, Vernon, Baz... I mean, yeah, 
like I say, just the quality was for for every single penalty um, was was excellent. And then obviously Jamie did his bit as well. So um, by the end, it was fairly comfortable, as comfortable as a penalty shootout can be. Yeah, absolutely, it definitely was. Um, I'm just thinking, you know, you're watching Adam Rooney step up to take the pen, knowing if he scores it, that's it, done and dusted. Um, you'll become the first Aberdeen captain to 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 lift a trophy in however many years it had been at that point. Remember what you were thinking just as Adam walks up, or is this one of these, you boys have seen Adam at this point, he's only not long in the club as well, to be fair to him. What an introduction yeah. to the Aberdeen sport Adam Rooney had in those first three months, by the way. Yeah. Any doubt in your mind he's putting it away? It wasn't so much I had doubt about Adam, but here's me probably thinking this is too easy. Someone's going to go wrong. Um, so there was a little part of me, I suppose, um, not wanting to take it for granted as much as anything, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not like I didn't have any confidence in Adam. And yeah, he was um, very cool and calm in, in the way that he kind of slotted it away. But I wasn't surprised. But like I say, probably just didn't want to take it for granted. Straight down the middle. Done and dusted. Cue absolute bedlam in the stadium at this point. It felt to me at the time there was a massive gap between Adam scoring the penalty and the trophy being presented. I, yeah. That just might be, again, my recollection being really hazy, but it seemed like it take, took ages. Um, going up to, to claim the trophy, though, oh, actually, on this, as a captain, right, I'm going to ask you this. Would you rather get to go first or do the, the, the newfangled thing where, you, oh, yeah. where everyone goes up and you have to go last? doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, does it? I don't know. Do you know the one thing that kind of I would love to have done it at Hamden for that reason mm. or to go up the, the, the stairs, um, mm. not diminishing everything about the, the game that day. Oh, it was still some buzz. I actually got a bigger buzz with Adam's penalty going in because it was that split second. You talk about the semi-final where you were comfortably winning um, and uh, you knew the last few minutes what the outcome was going to be. Yeah. It was on a knife edge until Adam's penalty went in, and I think the way that it kind of works that way, um, for me, that was a bigger rush. Um, I mean, yeah, lifting the cup itself was uh, something that I'll never forget, but the actual rush that we got from the, the ball hitting the back of the net for Adam's penalty, for me, was um, was, a, was a bigger rush. Was it a conscious effort to emulate Willie Miller's one-handed trophy lift? Just something that happened that uh, No, <laughs> it was... Willie's never actually said anything to me about that, but if, uh, I hadn't thought about it at all. Um, really hadn't. For the same reason that you didn't want to jinx anything, you really didn't want to um, consider that side of it just in case, um, because then you'd be sitting there feeling like a bit of an idiot, to be honest, uh, inside. Um, so I don't know. It's just the way it kind of it happened. Like I, I never really thought about it. With the League Cup, I guess, it's the kind of natural way to go anyway, isn't it, because of the way it is? so Exactly. It's that kind of, the way that the Cups, um, and the, the shape of it as much as anything is to. It did, though. It provides such a wonderful kind of just, like, imagery as well with everything that, you know, Willie did as captain. It's brilliant. I love it. It's, it's great stuff. The bus journey back to Aberdeen, a memorable one. We've spoken to enough guys about it already, but do you, do you have a rough idea how much you managed to stiff Barry Robson on the kitty for the way back? Uh, it's, it was brilliant, because uh, Baz is tighter than the duck's arse. Um, so the way, the, the way that it worked out as well, obviously the traffic getting back up the road was, was a nightmare. So we'd been told um, to go across to Edinburgh and go up that way. Um, so we, we stopped in and obviously Baz had lost the shooting competition the day before. Um, again, going back to my point, it was just a normal training session the, the day before. Um, so 
he didn't really have much of an argument in terms of coughing up and paying for the uh, paying for the drink. Uh, and it was I've still got the videos on my phone. It was it was a, a really good bus journey, the best. Um, it just flew in as well. It flew in. You talk about um, characters um, in terms of yeah karaoke, all that kind of stuff. It was just it was a good journey um, just to be. Uh, suppose enjoy it with with everybody going back up the road topped off by tony doherty decking it after telling you all to behave on the way off the bus so you know what more do you want exactly priceless the following week as well sees the open top bus parade down union street um and 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 again i think that probably provides quite a unique insight i guess to to people who are not from aberdeen or from the area for for players just what's it like being on that bus coming down union street with that number of people out there Having only ever done it once, um, I wasn't fortunate enough to do it again. Like the the team back in the eighties, they were doing it regularly. But oh, it was it was an incredible. Again, it was the build up to it. Um, there was talk about how many people would be turning up, but people will throw figures about. But until you actually see what that looks like, you don't realise um, the the yeah the the day itself was just incredible. Um, I think just to see so many people turn out. And yeah, it just goes back to the point before about um, having such a, a good fan base that if you've got a team there that they can get behind, then they will. Um, and I've got no doubt um, the next time, um, hopefully it's not that long, um, they they do it again, you would get the, a similar kind of turnout, I'm sure you would. Um, from the highs of, of Parkhead to... I guess the real disappointments that season, um, the Scottish Cup semi-final against St. Johnston at Ibrox in particular, I suppose. Uh, and again, everyone we've spoken to who, who played that afternoon says exactly the same thing. Just a massive opportunity missed, I think, in terms of a, a real chance for the club to go do a cup double. Um, did it feel like it that afternoon as well at, at full time that that was just a great chance to go on and, and, and make it to that season? I think that afternoon afterwards but even now looking back that's I don't have many regrets in my career um, but that is one of them because I genuinely felt that if we'd won that game we would have done the double because I would have fancied us against Dundee United um, and it was just a massive letdown it was um, I think we, we had a chance at 1-0 to go 2-0 up I think Adam um, keeper saved it but it was very similar to I would say the first semi-final that we could have gone 2-0 up, but we probably didn't deserve it. Um, and then the longer the game went, um, we just didn't show the kind of level that we'd done previously in games. Um, we did, we just didn't get there in the day. Um, and you've got to credit St. Johnston for it. But yeah, it was it was a massive disappointment. Because um, I, I, like I say, I do feel that was, that was an opportunity for us. From not having won a, a cup for however long, to then having the opportunity to go and win two in one season. Um, I thought that was a genuine possibility. So that was a big disappointment. Yeah. We end up third. That last game of the season, we, we don't need to talk about that too much against Motherwell because it's just an absolute shocker of a refereeing decision at the back end. Um, but it does mean we, we, we do go back into Europe. Obviously, part of the team that won 2-1 in Holland against Groningen. Um, I'm going to hazard a guess again that that'll probably rank up there as being your favourite experience in Europe with Aberdeen yeah um, I think I don't think many people would have given us much hope for going back there and getting a result which would have um, taken us through to the next round but again I thought the the team was kind of evolving and developing and I, and I thought 
um, having Niall and Johnny and the team, Adam, um, we were dangerous. Um, and there was games you were going into, you think, well, we don't give much up. Um, so you know you've got players in the team that if you can manage to to create opportunities, then you fancied them um, to score goals. And that's the way it kind of played out. We were under a bit of pressure second half, um, as you would expect. Um, but yeah, it was a, I think it was probably just another example that um, it was a, a good team performance um, and a really good result off the back of it. Coming the end of August that season, there's an away game at St Johnston, one little defeat that sees you substitute after 77 minutes with an injury. That then ultimately means obviously you're going to be out for the rest of the season. Um, deep down, did you know that was going to be the time to hang the boots up? It, it was a really bizarre one because the, the injury itself was um, as bizarre as it sounds, but all the knee injuries and all the problems I'd had, it, it was all ligament damage. Um, I never really had any issues with my cartilage. And this was the first time going back to the season previously where I've played probably the last three months, basically getting treatments three or four days a week, training Thursday, Friday, play Saturday, and then the process would start again just to get fit for the next one. Um, so with, as, as a lot of the guys will tell you, if you've got an issue with your cartilage, some days it can be absolutely fine. The next day, for whatever reason, it's maybe just moved slightly. Your knee can be up like a balloon. So you never really knew from one day to the next how it would be. And you were trying to manage it as, as much as possible. But the fact that we had finished the season and then come back so soon for European football, I hadn't really had any chance for it to settle down and recover. I don't know if it would have done even given more time just with the nature of it. Um, I was trying to work my way through pre-season. And I was in and out. And, and it wasn't a serious thing, but it probably just needed tidied up. Um, but you were hoping that you could get away with it um, because, like I say, some days you actually felt absolutely fine and you think there was no issue here and then the next day you woke up. Um, so you didn't really know what you were getting with it. And then it got to the point St. Johnston, I overstretched uh, for a ball, um, came off and at that point there decided, like, well, go and get it tidied up. Um, you'll be out for maybe four to six weeks max because, like I say, it wasn't a, a serious issue. Um, the the tidy-up um, went with no issues at all, but it was actually the rehab from the knee injury that I started getting an awful lot of issues with my calves. Kept tearing my calf, both calves, um, doing no more than just jogging around the pitch, trying to do my rehab for my knee. So you've got this bizarre situation where you're, you're trying to rehab your knee, but you're also rehabbing your calf because you, you've torn your calf basically jogging, um, which shouldn't be the case. <laughs> Long story short, I must have, between both calves, had four calf tears within three months, um, doing no more than jogging. Um, so they, they kind of realised that there was something uh, a little bit deeper, more sinister than just being my calf. So um, started to kind of look at my back, um, realised that it was actually coming from there. Um, and it's bizarre as it sounds, up until... Towards the end of that previous season, it was as good as I'd felt in years. Um, all of a sudden, a few months later, I'm looking at myself thinking, Jesus, I feel I feel every day my, my age. Um, so they um, they gave me an injection to try and get my, um, my back to settle down and take the pressure off my calves. But by this point, I'd had four or five occasions of trying to recover and breaking down every time. 
Um, and all the while, I'm telling the manager, I'll be back in a month, I'll be back in an extra couple of weeks. And then that started to kind of take its toll a little bit because the manager then can't rely on you. Um, you can't rely on yourself. And for all the injuries that I'd had, that was the first time where I felt like I couldn't actually trust my body because I was doing very little and I was still breaking down. So that was the time where I kind of thought, ah, this is enough. Um, I'm not going to carry on just um, flogging a dead horse, so to speak. So it was about, I think, November time. I was actually, I spoke to the manager there about just calling it quits there. Um, and I'm glad he kind of talked me around. He said, well, there's, there's no point just giving up now. Why don't you try and get fit and see where it takes you? And then you can reassess at the end of the season. Um, which I agreed, but I think I knew deep down um, that it was going to be, um, that the end of the season was going to be it for me. Um, and I did manage to get back fit, trained the last few weeks, played a few 20s games, which I actually quite enjoyed. That was the season they won the league, I think, the 20s. Um, so they were all jumping about in the last game of the season, delighted. I kind of um, snuck off because I was twice the age of <laughs> quite a few of them. Um, and I think it was just a natural conclusion for me at the end of that season to think, yeah, when I said I came back and I, I didn't want to be just um, milking it, um, it just felt like I say that I'd lost confidence in my body for the first time properly and it was the right time to kind of tap out. And then last game uh, in a red shirt, final day of the season that year against St. Johnston, um, it means, of course... Your career at Aberdeen ends with 407 appearances, 21 goals, one League Cup winner's medal, 10 caps for Scotland as well. That tally for Aberdeen places you number seven um, on the all-time AFC appearance holder list, which is just tucked in behind Jim Layton. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot really quickly here, but your favourite game in an Aberdeen shirt, and, and who would you say was the best player you played alongside at the Dons? I think occasion-wise it has to be the Cup final for, um, for obvious reasons. The game itself, no. Um, so if I'm thinking favourite game, oh, you've, you've put me in the spot here, but I would say it would, there'd be a couple. I think any time that you beat either Rangers or Celtic was a big one. I would say the one where we beat Rangers before I left, um, that last game of the season, I think was was a, an important um, win for us. And we probably touched on it as well. Uh, the one where we went down to Parkhead the season that we won the Cup and won that one. I think off the back, round about that period when things, we were motoring at that point, and I felt that was um, at that point when you think back and you think, I was actually really enjoying my football there for the first time in a long, long time, playing on a team that was doing well, um, and I was loving every every bit of it. Best player you played alongside at the Dons? Again, I know it's hard, but... <laughs> I can't tell Reynolds it is. <laughs> <laughs> Um, like it's like I said to you. Um, when Jesse came back, um, I would say for me watching him grow up and be the player he was before he left, I would say probably. Um, yeah, I'll give it to Ian. He would play centre half. Um, of course, as well. Last year, twenty twenty two, inducted into the Don's Hall of Fame as part of the class of twenty two. Um, on the evening alongside David Robb. Doogie Bell, Duncan Shearer and Frank McDougall. I mean, again, just what does that mean to you on, on that level to get that recognition? When I got the phone call, um, I was, yeah, amazed actually because I, I did think there was plenty more players that would have been inducted ahead of me. I just thought, well, it's too soon after I've finished. 
there's plenty of other players that probably right, rightly deserve their place in the Hall of Fame. So it really wasn't something I'd thought about. Um, so to get the phone call to say I'd been inducted, yeah, it was um, it was a really nice feeling, actually. Just, um, I can't even think where I was. I was at work. So to get that phone call in the middle of work when you're doing something completely different to then be given that news, yeah, it gave me a smile. I've got to be honest. I, yeah, I was buzzing. I was. Great stuff. Listen, while we've got you, really quickly, let's just talk about the development school that runs across the city. Um, how can people kind of get involved with like donations or whatever to help support? Yeah. Uh, so um, I think the just to give people a, a, a quick overview, I know that you were kind and generous enough to do a, a bit of fundraising for us, which was was great. Um, I mean, we're, we're working... Um, nine primary schools and secondary school now so it's over 2,000 children a week um, and it started as football classes after school for kids that maybe couldn't afford to go or maybe some other challenges that they couldn't get there so we would go in and basically just put on some some training sessions for them and it's kind of growing arms and legs from there that we're still doing the, the, the sports side of it but not just football it's football, tennis rugby um, even swimming now, but it's more to do with everything else that can maybe improve their their life chances in terms of healthy eating, improving themselves academically, trying to close the attainment gap um, to give them an opportunity um, just to try and be the best that can be. Um, so in terms of fundraising, um, they can go to the website, uh, they can have a look there, um, there's an email address there and they can just drop someone a note if they want to do any kind of fundraising for us or even just donate. Um, it's not just about the money either, though. It's trying to raise the the profile of it in terms of the work that we're doing, um, the people that we're working with. Um, and also there's plenty of opportunities to volunteer as well. I mean, that um, just passed there, October and summer, was the first time we actually had holiday camps. Um, free of charge to the kids. Um, a lot of the, the camps in the, the city, they are excellent, but they cost a lot of money for, for the kids to go to. So we put them on free of charge for them. Um, and the, uh, the delivery, the recovery was, was excellent. So. No, it's great stuff. It's great work. And um, we'll put a link, obviously, in, in our social medias and everything for the website and all that kind of good stuff when it goes out. And if you can out there and you can then help out fundraise, raise awareness, whatever you can do out there. Obviously, it's, it's a more than worthy cause to do so. So, Russell, we'll, we'll finish up here. Um, it's been an absolute privilege to get the chance to talk to you over these two um, sessions. We'll finish up the way that we always finish up with our guests. We're going to ask you the same question we ask everyone. And it's putting you on the spot again, I'm sorry. Um, but, Russell Anderson, what does Aberdeen Football Club mean to you? Everything. Everything. It does. Um, the career that I had, it's been such a big part of my life, um, and it always will be, to be honest. Russell Anderson, top man. Thank you so much for joining us on the ABZ Football Podcast. Um, we'll catch you later on. Stand free. Thank you. And there we go. That'll wrap up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us again. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow, or whatever you might do on your podcast player of choice. Join us next week for episode 102, where we'll review our visit to Govan, and then we'll look ahead to our home match with Hibs as the Dons celebrate our Gothenburg greats and the 40th anniversary of that glorious night in the Levy. We look forward to seeing you then. Stampy.
This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds!